0: It's not unusual to find plenty of wine caves and wine cellars in wine country. What is unusual is discovering a sophisticated broadcast facility inside these well-protected and often top-secret chambers. But maybe it really isn't that surprising that America's number one wine broadcast originates from the soul of wine country. And it is our great privilege to do all we can to inspire you. If you drink wine simply because, well, it's a drink, we've got our work cut out. For literally thousands of years, wine has fueled celebrations, ended conflicts, and provided the ultimate connection between one human being and another. It makes food taste better, lifts spirits, sparks our imagination, and beckons us to slow down and love life. If that all sounds good to you, you're in the right place. So sit back, Clear your head, put any worries you have on hold, and join us as we go in search of this week's Grape Encounter. But be warned, we speak a much different language than what you typically experience in most wine-centric environments. But you didn't come here because you're ordinary, did you? Good, because your host, David Wilson, is here to take you far, far away from the beaten path. Here's David.
1: All right, I am very excited about this because it's just my third field trip since COVID, and I have promised myself that I'm going to get out and do live interviews. Well, there was one we had to put off, and it was not because of COVID, it was because of this nasty second round of fires. And now we get to do it, and I am with one of the most heralded chefs on the planet, but he's way more than a chef. He's somebody that I totally admire, and I have a really funny story about COVID and this chef. You've seen him on NBC's Today Show, Bravo's Top Chef, uh, The Rachel Ray Show. He's Charlie Palmer. And Charlie, welcome to Grape Encounters. Well, great to be here with you.
0: Yeah. Well,
2: I'm Thanks actually, for coming I'm in and visiting. A,
1: I'm yeah. actually in your office right now, and I get to eat at your restaurant here in Healdsburg later. But I want to tell you a funny story because the last. Meal that I had, sit down dinner that I had was in your restaurant at the Archer Hotel in downtown Napa. Which, by the way, gang, if you want to stay at an amazing hotel, that is the bomb here. I can't think of another hotel that is more beautiful than that.
2: Yeah, I think the Archer, the Lodgeworks crew did a great job with that hotel. You know, and of course, being right smack in downtown Napa, I think it's pretty spectacular, right near the river, you know, near Copia, which is one of my other home bases there. You know, for the CIA now, and, um, you know, I guess probably Hotel Healdsburg and H2 and our, our three hotels here in Healdsburg rival uh, the Archer, but, you know, all in the same category. Spectacular uh, places to be.
1: Well, one of the things that I kind of I kind of had forgotten is just how far Healdsburg is from Napa, though. You know, you kind of think, oh, just a, just a hop, skip, and a jump, but, you know, you've got to plan on an hour, right? Yeah. you got to want to come to Healdsburg. That's the thing, yeah. and, and everybody wants to come up here because it's so beautiful.
2: Yeah, well, I always tell people like the difference I see, anyways. You know, I see the difference between you know Napa and the Napa Valley, and as opposed to the Sonoma Valley and Healdsburg where we are here, is you know Heelsburg and Sonoma in general is a little more rural. There's a little more farming going on besides grapes, and Sonoma's known a lot more for you know kind of its you know, the poultry capital of California in Petaluma, you know, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was in Central California or it was in Petaluma at one point, probably more now, you know, and everything from C.K. Lamb and Liberty Duck and, you know, that type of thing, as well as, you know, Tamales Bay and Cowgirl Creamery and what's happening with all the you know, the artisanal cheeses and everything. So the food source is really, you know, burgeoning here. So you, you mentioned Liberty Duck yeah. and I uh, I did an interview with them yeah. and
1: I I still have a frozen half duck in my freezer.
0: And you know what? <laughs> and I
1: love to cook. Everybody knows I love to cook, but I'm afraid of duck. I really am. I just like, I, oh, yeah? yeah, what is that? I'm not afraid of any other food, but duck. I just yeah. think I'm going to screw it up. It's all that fat
2: yeah you know I think I think in general there is a, a little bit of trepidation about cooking duck but you know I tell people that cooking duck breast for instance is not unlike cooking chicken but you know you want to get that skin crispy and it's like really rendering however you're cooking it whether it's a really slow grill and just it's 90 percent of the cooking is skin side down. Yeah. You know, and like rendering out that fat. We'll score the fat or we'll score the skin, you know, to release the fat, salt it, season it, everything like that to kind of bring out. But the, don't remove it. Don't remove it. No, no. I mean, we do different dishes, obviously, and, you know, have done an even like poached duck breast without the skin, but always take the skin and, and introduce it back somehow, you
1: know. So what is a, a New York boy doing on this side of the country, I mean, food is your passion. (laughs) And in many ways, New York is a much more food-centric world, is it not, than out here? At least when you came out here, how
2: long have you been on the West Coast? Yeah, you know, we moved our family out to Healdsburg uh, 17 years ago now. Why? Uh, you know, just because everybody thought like it's because we wanted to be out of a city and raise our four sons outside, which was kind of, was part of it. But you know, I think a bigger part of it is I wanted to live somewhere else and I had the good fortune to be able to live pretty much anywhere. Yeah. And travel, you know, I truly am a bi-coastal person. So, you know, I'm back and forth to New York before this whole COVID thing, you know, literally every other week. You know, I love New York City. I love the spontaneity and what happens in New York. And, you know, all the restaurant scene obviously is amazing in New York and food. And it's an international city like no other. But I also love, you know, the idea of farming and what, you know, some people don't know. I grew up in a small town. Very small town, 250 people in upstate New York. And it was really a farm town, dairy farming. How far upstate? uh, Right near Colgate University. So probably about four and a half, five hours from New York City. How far would that be from the Finger Lakes then? Uh, Not far from the Finger Lakes, yeah. Forty five. So were you were you
1: a fan of those wines up there? They're such interesting wines, but they're so different than what we
2: have here. Yeah, I certainly am a fan of them and I love the fact that, you know, there is growing happening in New York. But I can honestly say that, you know, the, the quality of wines and what's being, you know, made here in California obviously is second to none, you know, on a world scale. Not that the Finger Lake wines aren't great, but, you know, nobody's producing the type of wines like Pinot Noir, for instance, there. It's just impossible to grow something and get it ripe enough.
1: You alluded to something that I say very reluctantly, not because I don't believe it, but because people write me and they say, Wilson, why are you always talking about California wine or at least so much emphasis on California wine? And I want to say, I just want to, I'm going to do it because you're here and you're going to back me up. Nobody makes better wine on balance in California, period.
2: No, I mean, I think, you know, if people want to be truthful of themselves, that, that they they would recognize that or, or, you know, agree. You know, of course, there's always, I love the fact that there's always loyalty to where you're at. Yeah. You know, whether in Washington State or in Oregon or, you know, other grape growing parts of the United States. But I think if people are honest with themselves that, you know, this is this is where it's happening. Well, at Char- Charlie, the first of all, well, Washington, are, right?
1: Washington yeah. and Oregon are, are part of California. Well, yes. Uh, eventually, we're going to annex them. <laughs> right? but, don't tell them that. But, uh, you yeah. know, it's funny because Americans think that they love European wines. But the truth of it is they don't like the funkiness in a lot of those wines. They don't like the low alcohol. And they don't like the fact that those wines are seldom fruit forward, which are characteristics of California wines more so than those wines. Agreed?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I am and I always have been. And a huge Burgundy fan, and you know, you know, visit Burgundy regularly. But I guess because of the way I grew up and the way I, you know, entered the business, the food business, I never look at that comparison that Burgundian wines need to be compared to California California Pinos, you know, Russian yeah, River yeah. Pinot Noir. For yeah, no, 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 they're exactly, two different yeah. wines, and they're two different approaches in a lot of ways. You know, of course, you can always compare things, but you know, to me, it's not that. You know, when I'm drinking red burgundy or white burgundy, you know, I don't compare
1: it and to the And do. see I truly do love those wines. I'm only Absolutely, saying I'm no. only saying for the American palate, the truth of the matter is, is that Americans, you like American wines more than you like European wines. Yeah. And if you're really a wine aficionado and, and an enthusiast of wine, you will enjoy those wines probably just as much and you'll find a lot of things to love there. But if we were just doing a random survey more Americans would migrate to
2: American wines in a blind tasting. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Absolutely. But also, I do think it's some of us generational. You know, I have a lot of elder statesman friends that are huge French wine advocates. And not that they don't drink California wine because they certainly do and they, they certainly enjoy those too. But I think, you know, the way they, you know, entered into the wine world and, you know, yeah, developed the yeah. palate was because they were drinking great Burgundies and Bordeaux and things like that that you saw in cities like New York, for instance, you know, you know, right. it wasn't that long ago when I was a chef at the River Cafe 30 some years ago. You know, that was really the time when American California wines specifically started to really become like, wow.
1: We're going to take a quick break. So incredibly delighted to be talking to Charlie Palmer. You know, I told you I started by saying the last sit down dinner that I had. Charlie Palmer steak. Right. And now the, are you ready for this? The first sit down dinner since COVID is going to be right here at the Dry Creek Kitchen. There you go. By the way, that's all (laughs) accidental. That's totally accidental. But it it just occurred to me when I was driving up here, I go, holy smoke, the last time I sat down to dinner was at Charlie Palmer's. That's great. All right, we'll be back with uh, Charlie Palmer in just a second. We're going to talk about probably the strangest wine storage. I don't even know what to call it. Structure. We'll call it a structure (laughs) and lots more in just a moment with more Grape Encounters. Many wine enthusiasts describe wine as a kind of time machine that can transport you to the place and time it was created without leaving home. Whether you're sipping a Sangiovese from Italy or a German Riesling, tasting is traveling. That being said, Total Wine & More is like the world's biggest airport. With more than 8,000 wines from every corner of the world in their stores, you can be incredibly adventurous and savor every journey. Plus, you can do all of your shopping online at TotalWine.com and pick up your order at your local store or curbside for the ultimate in safe shopping. There's always more in store at Total Wine and More.
0: In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia... Her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Garya into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. free trade chocolate-covered walnuts. And for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com.
1: Summer is here, invigorating our state of mind and sparking desires for things that complement our playful mood. Yep, our barbecues are already working overtime, cranking out slabs of baby backs that pair perfectly with light, crisp summer sippers. And if you need a little inspiration, check out the summer wine list that no one can resist. It's Total Wine & More's Top 12 Summer Wines, featuring a truly eclectic cross-section of wines all under $20 and many under $10. Plus, Total Wine & More is offering summer wine bundles that save you up to $24 on a variety pack of wine. And now that we've all gotten into curbside buying, you can order online at TotalWine.com and pick up your order in the store or just outside for a contactless experience. The best lineup of super low-priced summer wines is just a click away at TotalWine.com. If I ever grow up, I think the person I want to be is Charlie Palmer. Charlie Palmer, you have the most amazing life, and you have your fingers in so many different pies. The One question, though, I do want to ask you. Are you jealous that Arnold Palmer has a drink named after him, and you don't? Has it bothered you at all?
2: Well... You know, I I always always joke with with people because a lot of our restaurants will feature a a Charlie Palmer, which is is an Arnold Palmer with alcohol. You do what Some of our our, our bar uh, bar personnel and mixologists have have created the Charlie Palmer, which usually has some some booze in there too. But uh, but now, I mean, I think my name is on a a wine now. I I make a wine with Clay Morrison. We've made wow. let's see 15 vintages of charlie clay pinot noir i'm You're growing here. grapes uh, you know on our little piece of heaven up in the russian river we're technically in russian river so we make Pinot Noir, which is always my dream when I moved to California when I came out here. My dream was to grow grapes and make my own wine, and uh, I couldn't have chosen a better partner to do that with than Clay. Clay Morrison. and I'm a partner with him. And So those are all Russian River? Uh, all Russian River. Yeah, it's a blend, but most of it comes from, you know, our vineyard, four different clones of Pinot. And then we get a little bit of fruit from Dutton Ranch and we get a little bit of fruit from Caligari, which is a kind of a rock star vineyard here on the East Side Road in Halesburg. So I
1: always tell people yeah. that there are only three acceptable, well, actually four, I should say, acceptable places to get your Pinot from. Russian River is like number one for me, but I love the yeah. Santa Lucia Highlands down in Monterey County. They do some great stuff there. and they then do, And yeah. then, you know what, just about any place in Oregon... Because yeah. they've devoted their life to it. And then, of course, you mentioned earlier Burgundy. You know, they don't call it Pinot there, but that's just so delicious. But there's so many. I don't like funky Pinots. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's a lot of different styles.
2: You yeah. Know? And I think that's, that's the thing that makes it so interesting. And part of making wine, my interest was, it was really understanding and learning about First and foremost, growing. You know, everybody talks about terroir, and but growing Pinot Noir, which is you know, as everyone knows, is a harder grape to grow yeah. than say a, you know Cabernet or you know some of the other things, Syrah. But the way people trellis, the way the light exposure, you know, the, the canopy, you know, everything about it is interesting, and everybody has their own take on it. You know, and then. There's some heroes here like, you know, Tom Rocchioli and the the team over at William Sellium and th- those types of people that I think have gotten their own band. Michael Brown is a great friend of mine. And, you know, I just tasted his new wine, Chev. you know, after after Cirque came Chev, and, you know, very interesting, very small in amount of it made. But his take on Pinot Noir is certainly different than a lot of other ones. You know, we try to do something with Charlie Clay that's you know, I would say more Burgundian style, a little bit lighter, really a food wine. You know, my my approach is always to make something that's really great, yeah. a pairing with a, a bunch of different types of food. What was your first introduction to wine? You know, I was first introduced to wine when I was a young, young cook, and I became just infatuated with wine all of my chef career. And, you know, when I became, you know, an executive chef, when I opened my first restaurant, I probably had a larger interest in the wine and the wine program than maybe most chefs. You know, always involved in tastings, always involved in, you know, what our list was going to be about. And that's how my love of burgundy kind of blossomed. I always felt that the style of cooking I was trying to create and do was most suitable to Pinot and and Chardonnay and and white burgundies and stuff like that. So
1: So. let's back up then. You, You became interested in wine when you were a young chef. Yeah why why, why did you why did
2: you become a chef? Where did that come from? I, you know I became a chef because I was hungry, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you now I grew up uh, you know I've older brothers that are electrical engineers and a hardwood lumber business and my dad was a farmer and jack of all trades kind of guy, Plumber, electrician, but I, you know, I was introduced to cooking originally by my uh, neighbor, who was the home ec teacher in my high school. So it wasn't mom. No, it wasn't mom. No, not no,
1: mom, not dad. No,
2: no. You got interested. You know, my dad loved to cook his little simple breakfast and barbecue and stuff like that. But you know, my cooking career. Really was launched by a neighbor, uh, Sharon Crane, who was our home ec teacher in high school. I took home ec in high school. Me, the football linebacker, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, player. you're I mean you're a, you're a big guy, right? Uh,
2: <laughs> it, it was on a dare, you know. No, a, nobody's going to make fun of you yeah. going to home, or, or were you made fun of? Oh well, no, because I made three of my buddies take <laughs> take take home ec with me, and 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 Sharon's promise was like, hey, you're just going to cook; you don't have to do the sewing or any of the other stuff. So. That wouldn't have happened.
1: Plus, all but. the, the good-looking girls were in there, too, I right? I was going to
2: say, that was the other thing. She There's explained side benefits, to me. Yeah. look stupid. You know, uh, you know, when you're a 16-year-old kid, look stupid. It's you and 26 girls. You know, how bad can it be, you know?
1: All right. So let's talk about your cooking for a second, because you've been described as somebody who creates rambunctious flavors. And I love that term. And I mm-hmm. want to just ask about food and wine pairing in today's age where We have gone way off the deep end in terms of flavors. I mean, food has gotten really complicated. And there are people like one of the most renowned Psalms on the planet, Tim Hanai, who says that pairing is BS and he didn't say bs he actually he said this at a conference in new zealand are we at a point now where food is so complicated that maybe we just ought to lighten up on the pairing thing and be a little f- more freeform with that what's your feeling
2: you know i i would i would say just the opposite i think really okay you know, i i think that you know and, and it's the one big thing that i learned you know making a transition and actually moving you know spending a lot of my time cuz in wine country and, and understanding winemakers and, and really being in the belly of the beast kind of thing is that as a chef, for instance, when we talk about pairing, you know, what I had done in the past in my whole career was, you know, I would create a dish, devise a menu, that kind of and then we'd bring in the, the, the sommelier or the wine director and say, here, what do you think works well with this dish? Right. You know, and create a pairing, you know, for whatever for a menu, whatever when i got here to the wine country i realized that this was kind of really all ass backwards as far as exactly the approach, thank right? you yes so here in the wine country we have this saying we start with the wine so you know once that wine is in the bottle you're not going to change it right right so if you can taste the wine understand what you're cooking for you're creating a dish to go with that wine you know in the kitchen, we can do all kinds of things you know we can adjust, we can tweak, we can add a little acid, we can you know add a little seasoning, right, right. we can tone it down, whatever so that it works perfectly with the wine and that's always our approach is to understand the wine first and foremost and then devise a dish so- create a dish. That works well. With so that, that wine.
1: raises a really big question. I've yeah. got to take a break right now, but I'm so glad that you said that because when you think about the creation of a wine, it starts with literally planting the vines Absolutely. and then years go by, the vines get mature enough to be able to be harvested. And then we make wine and then we age wine. And by the time all that is done, it might be 10 years. Whereas in the kitchen and not to take anything away from chefing, please, but you go in the kitchen and you make a dish in a couple of hours, certainly you had to develop the dish and all that. So it seems like the, the wine, is, well, when we're drinking fine wine, let's, let's say that, yeah. that the wine should drive the meal and not the other way around.
2: wine first
1: i I have been saying that and i said i was going to talk about your wine storage (laughs) unit (laughs) so i got to talk about that and what we should really do when we go into a fine restaurant like one of yours and we've got to change our thinking we'll do that when we come back with chef charlie palmer and we are here in healdsburg going to be dining with him a little bit later and i can't wait so stay with me and we'll return in just a second
0: like to talk about wine
1: did you know that there's a lot more going on in the world of grape encounters than what you hear each week on the radio show if your answer is no it means that you're not as plugged into our wild wacky and wonderful world of wine but we can fix that right now i really want to share a lot more with you than what we're able to do during the weekly show like wine recommendations, interesting ways you can play with your wine, information about upcoming wine happenings, and even recipes I've developed just for you. There are two things you can do to get plugged in. First, join the Grape Encounters Radio group page on Facebook. Make sure it's the group page. Or you can sign up for our mailing list at grapeencounters.com. In coming weeks, I'll be doing giveaways, offering free online parties exclusively for you, and a lot more. Please, Don't miss out. Connect with me on Facebook or at GrapeEncounters.com.
0: Words can be very confusing. When you're crazy, people say that you're nuts. But what if you're crazy about nuts? Well, that doesn't mean that you should be sent to the funny farm. It means that you should be sent to the farm of M.M. Organics, the producers of organic heirloom walnuts, and walnut products that are so incomparably unique and delicious, other nuts will be reduced to wallflowers. Whoops! There we go with those crazy meanings of words again. After all, if being a wallflower means disappearing into the background, then why does being a walnut from M.M. Organics mean standing out from the rest? Confused? Well, you won't be... When you discover the glorious deliciousness of walnut halves, baking pieces, fair trade chocolate covered walnuts, and other scrumptious walnut products from MM Organics. Learn more and order yours at MMorganics.com, where you'll also find our utterly irresistible two horse Portuguese dessert wine that everyone goes nuts for. Get crazy at MMorganics.com. We're back with more grape encounters. Hey, please do us an enormous favor and like us on Facebook. It's the very best way to learn about other opportunities that we may not share on the broadcast. Also, join our mailing list on GrapeEncounters.com. Listeners on our contact list receive some exclusive opportunities. Become an insider. Enough said. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. So I
1: alluded to this earlier and then I didn't get to it in the last segment, but uh, it was probably about, I'm going to say four years ago that I was at an event with Sunset Magazine and I got a chance to interview a food and beverage person from the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Well, um, there is an amazing. It's the most amazing restaurant in the hotel. Who are we kidding? It's called Oriole. Yeah. And Charlie, you have what do you call it? The Wine Tower. Yes, yeah, the Wine
2: Tower. Yeah. Um, you know, the Wine Tower came about when we were putting it together, putting the idea together of doing Oriole in Las Vegas. You know, of course, we had Oriole. It's 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 home in New York. Right. And by great good fortune, you know, one of the key figures at Mandalay Bay at that time had this incredible collection of wine, you know, really, really amazing stuff. You know, we they had first growth Bordeaux from the 1900 vintage, you know, they just had this amazing amount of wines, all wow. kinds of great Cabernets and, you know, verticals and things like that from California, uh, a massive amount of Burgundies. So we said like, look, you know, As opposed to what we had all been, you know, thinking about in the past with this dark cellar, very mysterious kind of thing, we wanted to create something that really put the wine forward, you know, that was like right in your face. And in being Las Vegas, we said, let's, let's," you know, with Adam Tahani, who designed the restaurant and and a bunch of engineers, we said, how can this become like a one of a kind presentation for this wine? And it became a 10,000 bottle, four story, 46 feet high wine tower that's accessed on all four sides by what we created which was wine angels you know and these wine angels all had acrobatic backgrounds some with Cirque du Soleil
1: i was going to ask you yeah how come Cirque du Soleil has not come into that (laughs) restaurant and
2: just turned that whole thing into a show they kind of they kind of have without knowing it (laughs) okay Um, all right and uh so the wine angels access you know from from ground to top in 10 seconds on either side every bin is numbered it's very efficient they wear a little earpiece and the sommeliers or wine director on the floor actually has you know communication with them so if someone orders a bottle they just recite the bin number 2202 they know it's side two bin 22 they fly up in the tower on these cables so what? You know, how do, retrieve how does the that, what is that a, it like
1: up. like a motorized pulley system it
2: is it's, it's a very simple motorized pulley system and it's a wireless remote that they have in their hands so they can go up and down like i say in 10 seconds um so you know it, it holds ten thousand bottles the tower itself our collection there at mandalay bay or at orio is well over 46,000 bottles in the entire selection. I don't know what we have at this point, but over 3,000 selections on wow. the list. <laughs> You know, famous for the the most uh, Grüner Veltliner in the world. No
1: way, <laughs> right?
2: <laughs> so things like that. Boy, but talk uh, about,
1: by yeah. the way, a, a varietal that people should be drinking more of, and and growers should be planting more <laughs> of. That's one of the greatest wines on
2: the planet. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's been heralded as the greatest white wine in the world. I don't know if I'd go that far, but you know, I, it's a great food wine. It's a really good, you know, amazing food wine, and a lot a lot of different foods, especially spicy foods or things like when you think about, you know, Asian influence and things like that. Bruner, I think, is the perfect pairing in a lot of ways, you know.
1: Now, by the way, I I think that I can help you improve business just
2: a bit. Good. How can we do that?
1: (laughs) I dress up like Bacchus, okay? And then on Saturday nights... I take the place of a wine angel. You're gonna need no. You come. Don't laugh. You're gonna have to reinforce the cables a little bit. That's nothing, right?
2: Nothing. Hey, I've been in the tower, so I've 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 been a wine angel. You know, it's not easy either. People look at it, just go up and down, but like to be in this acrobatic harness, which is not comfortable, by the way, and going like forty feet in the air. You look down; it's pretty scary. You know.
1: Well, Cirque uh... du Soleil has a college (laughs) in Montreal. Uh, yes, and I, later, I'd yeah. be willing to go there, spend yeah. three months there, come back. If, if, I, if I get my certificate, could I do it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. absolutely. We'll get you in the tower. I
1: think you're lying. Okay, <laughs> Let's go back to what we were talking about at the end of the last segment. We were talking about whether the food should drive the wine or the wine should drive the food. And I, you made me so happy to say, decide what wine you want to have and then decide the food. But that's backwards from what everybody seems to think and you'll sit around the table they drop the the wine list at the table and ideally we want to share you know a bottle at the table when we we select one from the wine list but that one's having chicken this one's having beef and and this one's having duck and it just seems to me that we ought to Do exactly what you're saying. So let's. What kind of wine would we like to drink, and let's find
2: some food to pair with it. How does that work in your restaurants? Well, yeah, just this way. Like I was mentioning that, you know, especially here in the wine country, I I would say nine times out of ten, people are really focusing on, hey, this is what I'm drinking, and now I'm going to order food accordingly. And especially when I'm doing any kind of you know, pairing dinner, any kind of dinner where we're setting a menu or creating a menu, it always starts with the wines, you know, because, you know, that's one thing that I think I've embraced and our whole team has embraced is we're in the wine country. Our part of our duty is to show the wines of Sonoma County, for instance, in Dry Creek Kitchen in their very best light. Yes. And a lot of that has to do with you know how they're presented and how they're paired. Right. right. Dry Creek Kitchen is, for those that don't know, Dry Creek Kitchen's list is 100% Sonoma. It cannot be on the list unless it's grown in Sonoma County. That's my dedication to very geographically where we are here in Sonoma. Um, It's my salute to the great, you know, makers. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I think that's absolutely wonderful. And and, and we have the most comprehensive list. You know, here, you know, 700 different wines, every varietal grown in the county, as far as my knowledge tells me, and, you know, and shows them, you know, shows them the best light.
1: You know, the nice thing is, is that you get to make up the rules because you have the credentials. And you were named James Beard's best chef in America. That was in 97, is that right? 97, yeah. And then 98, the Wine Personality of the Earth Culinary Institute of America, which is a big deal. Yeah. And you've been on their board for a long time. Yeah, trustee of the school. Trustee, yeah. yeah. So at what point did you say to yourself – I'm gonna just do things my way. I'm not gonna follow the crowd. I'm just gonna blaze some new trails.
2: I've always been that way. First of all, okay, <laughs> all right. I've always kind of taken my own direction of what I feel. You know, what what I feel is right. I've been. Very fortunate that a lot of people agree with the foods we cook, you know, and and, and our philosophy of food. You know, I dubbed uh, progressive American cooking is is what we do. Um, in a lot of ways, like I explain it, you know, people say, well, what does that mean, a progressive American cooking? And I describe it in a way like the, every time I step in the kitchen, I feel like, you know, American food or what we're doing is evolving, not changing, but evolving. And I think that's really important to me that we're always looking to strive to be better at our craft and striving to have the very best ingredients to start with. Because I think if there's something that's a constant in all of our restaurants, in our philosophy of food in general is if you start with the very best ingredients, right, you have the best chance of making the most spectacular food. You know, I do think that sometimes things become overcomplicated, you know, food wise, you know, just for the sake of, you know being over inventive. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, but I think, you know, the sourcing of ingredients, the way we approach cooking, I th- i would say that our cooking in general has become simpler and simpler as as a group of chefs, because, you know, simplicity, a lot of times is the very best way to approach things.
1: That is a, that's a, such an important point. All right, we got to take a break for a second. We'll come back with one more segment with my very special guest, Charlie Palmer. We've been trying to do this We've been trying to do this interview for months, but I came. I was on my way up here. Literally, the car was packed, and then the glass fire occurred, which is just – I don't even want to talk about it. I've talked about it a lot. I I, I just – it's terribly tragic. But anyway, uh, you've seen him on NBC's Today Show, Bravo's Top Chef, uh, The Rachel Ray Show. Please tell Rachel I'm in love with her if you go back on the show again (laughs) with you. I know she's – I guess she's happily married, but things can change and let her know, okay? We'll be back with Charlie Palmer in just a second with more grape encounters. This is the time of year when leaves and wardrobes aren't the only thing that change color. Wine preferences tend to darken up. Cold, crisp whites are already making way for fall favorites like Pinot Noir and luscious California Zin. Tropically tinted New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs won't migrate south just yet, and rosés will also remain resilient, well into turkey time. But folks like me who've enjoyed lighter fare in the backyard all summer will venture out and take a cab almost everywhere we go. Now there's no doubt about this fall phenomenon. It's a time when wine enthusiasts get more adventurous and try things outside of their comfort zone. And if your comfort zone could use a little reimagination, let the experts at Total Wine & More show you just how much adventure there is to discover among their inventory of 8,000 or more wines in every store. You can still enjoy their legendary customer experience in-store or make an evening of exploring the world of wine from the comfort of your cozy couch. Load up your shopping cart, stop by the store, and Total Wine will rush your order to curbside. Once you immerse yourself into an online Total Wine discovery mission, you'll quickly fall in love with the incomparable wines you can access so easily and affordably. See what I mean at TotalWine.com. If you're a frequent Grape Encounters radio listener, you know that our show is all about inclusiveness. For far too long, wine consumers have felt left out. Simply because a small minority of, well, let's call them out, wine snobs have dominated the conversation. For 12 years, it's been my mission to give you, the wine enthusiasts that just want to have fun, a front row seat to everything that's cool about wine. And while we have a very intimate thing going on here, I've been thinking that we can take things where no radio or TV program has gone before. And so beginning next week, I'm inviting you and your friends to get together with me for a private online party. This isn't a big streaming free-for-all event. It's you, me, and your guests. You decide what you want to talk about, we'll set a time, then it's party time. So email me using the contact form at grapeencounters.com. Tell me a little bit about how we can make this fun for you, and I'll respond to as many requests as I can. Just drop me a note at grapeencounters.com. Even though I spend almost every waking hour trying to track down all things wine, total wine and more is impossible to keep up with. That's because they have a team of experts constantly searching every corner of the world for amazing wines priced so you can enjoy them on any occasion, like tomorrow. They're always busy forging relationships with the best producers so that they're able to provide exceptional wines that are exciting and new to you at incredible savings. And of course, your faves will be there too new discoveries, must-have favorites, and more than 8,000 choices to explore online with your handy device while you soak up some shade. Visit Total Wine and More in person, or if you prefer a contactless experience, order online at TotalWine.com and pick up your order in the store or curbside. And for awesome summer wines, all under $20 and many under 10 be sure to check out their summer wines list at TotalWine.com. All right, back with Grape Encounters Radio. Charlie Palmer is my guest. Gosh, I don't know how you can have greater credentials than he has. I mean, think about it. Being named the best chef in America, was that a surprise? I mean,
2: yeah, of course. It's always very humbling to be, you know, put in that kind of realm and, you know, with, with the people that are there. The most humbling thing to me is to be amongst those names and those people and those other chefs that have really created and dedicated their entire lives to food like me. So,
1: now, are you a temperamental chef? Because I've known a lot of chefs in my life some of them will throw knives in the kitchen and stuff like that <laughs> uh, are you calm in the kitchen I,
2: i've been known in my earlier years to be uh, rambunctious i guess you might okay. call it but i think i've become known as this kind of more gentle methodical thought worthy chef and that's what i try to teach to all of our young chefs that patience is not only a virtue but patience is important in the kitchen and maybe the most important thing
1: now you have a lot of chefs that work for you how much time do you actually spend in the kitchen well i spend a lot of time in the
2: kitchen you know i'm you know, if, you know the big joke in in our group is that i haven't been to the office in seven months or whatever you know, <laughs> okay. and, and that probably won't won't change a lot and because i like it i like being around people i think the whole thing with covid and what's happened recently the hardest thing for me is like I'm a very Very social person, so not being able to be, you know, socially, you know, with everybody all the time and, you know. You know, up close and personal is really hard to adjust to. So I can't wait till we can get back to at least the realm of normalcy. Well, a-
1: amen to that. COVID has taken a lot of income away from a lot of people. And we've yeah, seen, terribly, we've so. seen really, really solid statistics that say that people are actually drinking more wine, yeah. but they're drinking <laughs> in the $10 category now. Yeah. If you were advising me or any consumer what to buy, how to look for a great inexpensive bottle of wine what would you say
2: you know first of all i i think we all always in our restaurants are always trying to create a wide range of pricing you know, because I'm a firm believer that just because a bottle is a you know a thirty dollar bottle in the restaurant it can be an amazing wine you know I mean I right. think the, the, the technology and winemaking across the world has become so much more advanced than it was even 10 years or 20 years ago that you're gonna find if you search hard and that's what our job is to search these search out these right. wines they don't have to be a hundred dollars a bottle to be great wines and in fact there's some amazing wines you know that are you know on a list at 30 35 40 dollars a bottle same thing retail you know, there's there's so much out there now. I mean, you have to do some, you know, homework and you have to really, you know what you're doing, but I think there's just amazing stuff.
1: Okay. I'm going to know. give you a little lightning round yeah. right now. Are you ready for this? Sure. Okay. All right. We're going to exclude California and let's also exclude France.
2: Yummiest, inexpensive
1: wines other than France and California.
2: I tell you, recently I've drank a number of Albarino from Spain, uh, very inexpensive, but yeah. I think well-made, well-balanced wines, you know, in general, you know, and some like, what is it, Kodak's, Martin Kodak's, I think yep. it was one producer that I thought, wow, that's a great bottle of wine for, you know, 12 bucks or 15 bucks, or whatever it was in a, in, a, in a retail venue. I think from a red standpoint, you're finding Merlot's that people just, you know, <laughs> you know, Oh my. can't sell anymore, right? My favorite.
1: Um, I are love great. Merlot. There's
2: some great wines, some great Merlot that, you know, you can find great value with because, you know, people poo-pooed it, you know, and Pinot kind of took over there. It's,
1: and, it's coming back,
2: though. Yeah, it and, is coming know, the back. The funny
1: part of it is, is that if you like Pinot, you wouldn't like Merlot to begin with. They're completely different yeah, right. wines. And, you know, there's no reason to even compare them. Stop taking your cues from movies, folks. And Merlot, this right. is the golden age <laughs> of Merlot right now. All the crappy Merlot was taken out and all the good stuff it's all good stuff and it's cheap right yeah people,
2: you know the producers of merlot right now i you know are making some great wines like a Ruffinelli. you know that doesn't make much merlot you know they're known for cab or zinfandel and cab here in dry creek valley but they make a little bit of merlot but you can't get your hands on it you know it's, it's an amazing wine and it's you know it's less expensive than the cabs okay give me
1: three yeah. three varietals that people aren't drinking very much of and that they should drink more of
2: Three varietals. Um, well, you, you know, people should certainly drink Gruner Veltliner because it's a grape and a wine that I think is universally great, you know. Um, there's some un Chardonnays that I like a lot too. Uh, the one that, uh, Iron Horse was making, un Chardonnay. I thought that was really good. One, one wine recently that it just struck me that I don't drink much of is Grenache. Straight Grenache. You know, I mean, everybody thinks of Grenache as a blend, right? You know, the Chateau Neuf de Pop blend type thing, which I'm another big fan of. I really love Chateau Neuf de Pop and that kind of combination of grapes and, you know, the, the different tones to it. You know, Chateau Neuf de Pop, you know, in general also is a wine you can drink younger, but is a big body wine, right? A big body wine, aggressive fruit up front.
1: And by the way, we are now hearing the term GSM a lot. No, we we didn't use that term five years ago. Grenache, Syrah, Mouvet, otherwise known as chateauneuf Chateauneuf de Pop. Pop. but that's American. (laughs) Those are Rhone varietals. Go shop for those on the Central Coast. Paso Robles, baby. We're making some of the best GSMs on the planet right now. You know, I was going to ask you about Cab Franc. Cab Franc, yeah. And Cab Franc, I just wish we would grow more of it. There's a lot of it here in Napa and Sonoma? There is, yeah. And then in terms of places, you mentioned Spain, but right now if you're on a budget, I think there's some other places outside of the U.S. that people ought to think about. What would your suggestions be? Yeah,
2: you know, a, a recent trip to Portugal... You know, I was the one thing that was amazing that you know they produce 260 or 80 varietals. Yeah. You know, and and I'm talking about everybody thinks about obviously about vinified like port wines, but they're still wines are some pretty amazing things, and I mean, and and great varieties that you know are akin to something like a Chenin Blanc or whatever with a different variety that I've never drank before. And price wise, you know, there's some pretty great wines.
1: They're dirt cheap cheap and they're just so delicious. And then I I'm not gonna uh, go off the air today without mentioning south america
2: yeah south america
1: chile and argentina yep.
2: so quick rundown of the restaurants well here in Hillsburg, we have dry creek kitchen charlie palmer steak and uh, the archer hotel in napa We have Oriole in Las Vegas, Charlie Palmer Steak in Las Vegas in the Four Seasons. We have a Charlie Palmer Steak up in Reno in the Grand Sierra Resort in New York. We have a Charlie Palmer Steak, and we're looking for our new home for Oriole, New York. And then we have a restaurant in the Knickerbocker Hotel and a rooftop bar called St. Cloud, and Charlie Palmer Steak in Washington D.C. and a few other things in the works, you know. So we're we're keeping busy.
1: Well, listen, Charlie, this has been a thrill. Well, thanks this for having me. Huge, Appreciate huge it. thrill. It just doesn't get any better than that. Delicious, amazing, inspired, and the credentials that really tell you the story of a great American chef. That's all I'm going to say. This edition of Grape Encounters has been brought to you by Total Wine and More. When Total Wine & More challenged themselves to keep more than 8,000 wines on hand, they pioneered a consumer experience that 99.999% of the population would have thought was impossible. It was an undertaking that I still can't totally get my arms around today. But I've spent many hours of my personal time being that adult kid in a candy store, using my mouse to learn about their extremely affordable top 20 wines of the year, or learning eye-opening details about the iconic winemakers behind Total Wine's Legends of Wine collection. TotalWine.com is an online resource so rich with content, it's hard to imagine a more satisfying wine-related experience. Spend all the time you want at TotalWine.com or at your nearest store. Just make sure you're back here with me at the same time next week for another Grape Encounter.